This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Gaska. This is the Neighbor Series, a collaboration between Soundside and KUOW Shorts. Do you know what that sound was? It's not surprising that you don't. That's the screech of a Washington state symbol, the Olympic marmot. To be fair, Washington has a lot of cool flora and fauna, so it's kind of easy to overlook the Olympic marmot. But aside from that screech, The Olympic marmot does hold a pretty special distinction. It was named a Washington state symbol in 2009. It's officially Washington state's endemic mammal. I wanted to understand what makes the Olympic marmot worthy of that kind of status. So earlier this year, I set out to unravel the mystery. I have to be completely honest about my own ignorance. Before I started working on this story, I had no idea that marmots even existed. To be fair, Olympic marmots aren't exactly the poster animal of our state. I've seen a ton of souvenir t-shirts with orcas on them or steelhead trout. Olympic marmots just don't get the same kind of publicity. Except they probably should, because they're literally our poster animal. In 2009, the Olympic marmot was officially added to our list of state symbols. But why? What makes the marmot so special? I headed to the Burke Museum to find out. So here we are, the biology collection storage room. So we're going to start, open up a couple cabinets and pull out some marmot skins. Yeah, I, I like to spend a lot of time in the mountains, a lot of time in the woods. And marmots, when you get up high and you get up into those areas, marmots are pretty common. And, and they're a mammal you can see and, and almost interact with. Uh, they'll let you get kind of close as long as they're near their burrow, right? Um, and they might whistle at you a little bit, but they're, they're one of the wildlife out there that you can really see. Um, and they're, they're beautiful animals. My name is Jeff Bradley. I'm the collection manager of mammals here at the Burke Museum. So Olympic marmots are one of 14 species of marmots found worldwide. Uh, they're the genus Marmota. They're found all over the Northern Hemisphere. And they're, uh, they're in the squirrel family, and they're basically great big ground squirrels. Marmots do look like ground squirrels, but they also bear a striking resemblance to groundhogs. They have brown fur, a long bushy tail, and a white muzzle. Their face looks just like a groundhog, with small, black, beady eyes. And just like the groundhog, marmots also have sharp claws that they use to dig holes and burrows in the meadows they live in. We've got three species of marmot here in Washington State. I've got those three species spread out here on the, in these drawers. And the first one, all over eastern Washington, we have the yellow-bellied marmot. Okay, it's Marmota flaviventris, and they're a widespread species. They're, they're found in the drier parts all throughout eastern Washington, the farmlands, the, the shrub steppe, um, and they're also found throughout much of western North America. Uh, the second species of, of marmot in Washington is the hoary marmot, Marmota caligata, and here in Washington, hoary marmots are found along the Cascade Crest. Uh, the southern limit of their range is, is down by uh, Mount Adams, 
But if you've seen marmots at Mount Rainier, those would be hoary marmots. And they occur, they're also widespread. They occur up into BC all the way into Alaska. And then the third species of marmot is here, right here, we've got the Olympic marmot. And Olympic marmots are found in the high alpine areas or subalpine areas or talus slopes of the Olympic mountains. And they're found nowhere else in the world. And that's, that's what it means to be endemic. That word endemic, it's really important. You can't go to Idaho or Oregon or Alaska and see Olympic marmots just hanging out in their meadows. They're native species to Washington, exclusive to just us. And I love orcas, but they live in oceans all across the world. I got a little nervous when Jeff said Olympic marmots are only found in Washington state. That means our population is precious. And according to the National Park Service, Olympic marmots have disappeared from the driest meadows in the Northeast Olympic Mountains. So are the marmots going to be okay? Or will there come a time when we talk about the state symbol in the past tense? Um, so also in the Olympics, they can't go upward. They can't migrate upslope at all because they're already at the tops of the mountains. There's no habitat that is going to become available that they can move upslope into. Um, and being out there on the Olympic Peninsula, they are trapped. They cannot shift northward. If they go northward, they're going to hit the Strait of Juan de Fuca. And so they don't have, as a species, the option to shift their range anywhere. They're just stuck out there on the Olympic Peninsula. Um, and so in that sense, they're going to have a hard time responding to climate change because as a species, they, they just can't go anywhere, right? Um, on the other hand, I, I like, to, like to try to be optimistic about it. I was going to ask, are, are they doomed? Like, it sounds like they're doomed. And I was going to uh, be careful to make sure I didn't say to you today that they are doomed because there's a lot of good things to think about. There's a lot of optimism for at the moment their numbers seem stable. Now they're being eaten by coyotes a bit more than they used to, and that's bad news. There's more coyotes out there than there used to be. Um, and if coyotes are after these marmots, that's, that's gonna be trouble for them in the long term. But right now they seem somewhat stable. And the most encouraging thing about Olympic marmots is almost all their habitat is protected within the Olympic National Park. You don't have to worry about Olympic marmot habitat being developed and turned into a, a shopping mall or anything like that, because it's all protected within the park. Um, and more than just the protected areas, the national parks have some dedicated biologists, some very smart people who are working really hard to make sure that the wildlife of our national parks persists. And I, I trust them. I trust them to find a way to keep the wildlife in these, in these parks that they're in charge of you know, intact as, as we proceed into a future of climate change. I still had to wonder, what does making the Olympic marmot a symbol add to our state's identity? For Jeff, marmots represent the natural resources and beauty of Washington. At the risk of encouraging people to go further crowd the parking lot at the trailhead to Marmot Pass or any of the other hikes I love out in Olympic Peninsula, the cool thing about the marmots is you can go see them. You can drive up to Paradise and Mount Rainier and see these horries. You can drive up to Hurricane Ridge and Mount, Mount and, and the Olympic National Park can't do it now but you can do it in the summer and you can get your own close-up view of these animals and you can see them for yourself and you can spend some more time out there in their habitat and that's got to be good for everyone even if there's few too many people out there we're kind of loving it to death but it's one of the things that i love i can't blame other people for wanting to do it and what do they represent they represent 
uh, a chunk of endemic wildness to Washington State. The Olympic Mountains are beautiful, and they are a wonderful resource, and, and, and people should go spend more time there. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's what I would like people to, to take home, um, is to go spend some time with some marmots. Appreciate them yourself. I learned a ton about Olympic marmots from the Burke Museum's Jeff Bradley, but he didn't really have anything to do with a campaign to make the marmot an official state symbol. That was the result of a highly organized, focused group of citizen lobbyists in Northeast Seattle, the fourth grade class at Wedgwood Elementary. I talked to a former student and the fourth grade teacher behind the legislative pressure that finally won the Olympic marmot statewide recognition. In 2008, Kelly Clark was a fourth grade teacher at Wedgwood Elementary School. Every year, her students would study state government, including how a bill could become a law. One of their assignments after they got all the information that they need is to propose a bill to the state legislature. And we always take those bills down. I took them down to the state capitol every single year. It was a big field trip for fourth graders. Kelly says those bills would end up in the circular file, otherwise known as the trash. But after the yearly field trip, she got a suggestion from a friend. Why not have the students lobby to make the marmot the state mammal? So I emailed the senator for the 46th legislative district, which is the district that Wedgwood Elementary is in. And the senator was Ken Jacobson. And I emailed it to him. And then like five minutes later, there was this ping. And I went back to my email. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you guys, I think we might have got something here because they have sent it back with a bill number. And they changed the the description to endemic mammal, which means it is only in the state of Washington. It is never going to leave the state of Washington. It's going to be born and die in the state of Washington. So endemic is right here, right now. So uh, I got the words right, and we got (laughs) a, a real bill. So we went from there. All of the students in Kelly's class contributed to researching the Olympic marmot. But at a certain point, Kelly says a smaller group of six or seven students emerged as really enthusiastic leaders. She decided that group would get to go down to Olympia and meet with lawmakers and sit in on committee hearings. Gabe Briggs was one of those students. I wouldn't say before this I had a deep marmot passion. That would be dishonest. I was a marmot, like a marmot moderate, I would say. But this bill probably pushed me into being a more pro-marmot. Gabe says that for a fourth grader, he put in a lot of research in order to be prepared to testify in favor of getting the Olympic marmot recognized as a state symbol. He researched the boundaries of where they lived, what they liked to eat, and the population of Olympic marmots. He says there was a night the other kids came over to talk strategy and put poster boards together while eating some pizza, like fourth graders do. Ceremonial bills like the one Gabe and the other students were trying to get passed usually aren't very controversial but they also don't exist in a vacuum. While Gabe and his teammates were building posters, a global financial crisis was happening. The U.S. was in the middle of the Great Recession in 2009, right as the Marmot Bill was making its way through the state legislature. At the same time, lawmakers in Olympia were trying to figure out how to address the state's budget shortfall, which was projected to balloon to about $8 billion. I was like aware enough to know there was like a global financial meltdown going on. Like, you know, I had, you know, family that was losing jobs and, you know, you could see it. I was aware enough to kind of understand that things were not great. 
lawmakers from both sides of the aisle argued that the state needed to focus on the financial crisis, not marmots. One state senator from Spokane, Bob McCaslin, was quoted in a Seattle Times article saying, I'm not a meanie. I think we've just got more pressing problems. Gabe is 24 now, and he kind of sees where the adults were coming from. Like, in retrospect, it's a little bit insane to be, like, trying to pass a, a bill that's pretty much all ceremony, like, during a time when it's like, these legislators should have been, you know, probably busy doing other stuff. But at the time, I never really conflated the two. I kind of just was like, they should, they should pass my marmot bill. And, you know, what else goes on down in Olympia? I don't really know or, or care to know, but I know my bill's good and they should pass it. The state Senate did pass the Marmot Bill on March 11, 2009. But in order to become a law, the House had to pass the bill too. Kelly Clark says one person in particular was less than enthusiastic about the piece of legislation, State Representative Frank Chop, who was then the Speaker of the House. The way Kelly remembers it is that Chop was reluctant to bring the bill to the floor for a vote. So during one of the group's trips to Olympia, another representative scooped up the kids and they went to Chop's office. There were a lot of lobbyists waiting to see Frank Chop, and we barged right in and said, hey, we want you to put this on the floor. And um, he listened to them, and he wasn't very interested, and he didn't put it on the floor (laughs) for a vote. So that's when we started emailing every night. And I wrote up what had to be written uh, by my students. They wrote it down, went home, typed it up, and sent it. And then they just had to push copy-paste every single night. And they did that for probably 20, 30 days until Frank Chop broke down and put it on the floor and it was voted in. About a month later, the Marmot Bill was passed in the House. And on May 12, 2009, then-Governor Christine Gregoire signed the bill, and the Olympic Marmot was officially declared the state endemic mammal. By the time it was all over, Gabe Briggs was in the fifth grade. He spent a whole year working on getting the Olympic marmot the recognition he felt it deserved. Surely, he must have some warm, fuzzy feelings about turning the Olympic marmot into a state symbol, right? I don't know if the state gets much. I mean, it's a good thing they passed it, probably, because, you know, it's it's like a fun story. And I mean, what kind of adult votes against a kid bill being proposed by like 10-year-olds? It was interesting to see, you know, the real process. You can have a bill that's popular and you can bring it out of committee and the the main, like the speaker of the house or whoever's in charge can just like decide to not bring it for a vote. And I still think that has got to be, I mean, I, I don't major in political science or anything, but that's just got to be something that's ridiculous. You, you got to be allowed to bring it to the vote. And I remember going and learning about that. Like, Oh, we got to talk to this guy. So he'll even bring it to the floor. And it's like, why just, it should just go to the floor and they should vote on it. So stuff like that, I think I learned a lot about like weird hangout points in, in making a bill of law and why it takes so long. And like, God, it took us forever to get this done. And I can only imagine how hard it is to do something that's more, you know, substantial. But for Kelly Clark, taking the idea of making the Olympic marmot the state endemic mammal from her classroom to the legislature was substantial. In fact, it was career defining. Where do you rank that in your accomplishments and achievements, like in your teaching career? I, I think number one, those children, you know, I teach it every year, but those children got to go through all the steps that I had taught them. So it just kind of like seared it in like, oh, yeah, this is now making a lot more sense. And it was such a fabulous 
hands-on learning experience that I don't think they'll forget. I mean, you talk to Gabe, he still remembers it. Um, I don't know how he remembers it, but he does, and that's good to know. It's just, you know, it's such an exciting thing that students can pass a law. You know, children can do this. And I always teach them, you are the the people that these legislators are working for. Even at your age, they're working for you. So you're one of their constituents, and they need to listen to you. <laughs> and when you receive an email every single night for several weeks, <laughs> you kind of have to listen. That was former fourth grade teacher Kelly Clark and her former student, Gabe Briggs. Next time on Neighbors, we'll meet a local drag queen who tells us about why Seattle's drag scene is special and how she got into the scene in the first place. The Neighbors series was originally produced by the team that makes Soundside, on air Monday through Thursdays on KUOW at noon and 8 p.m. and wherever you get your podcasts. Today's story was produced by me. Soundside and KUOW Shorts are both productions of KUOW Puget Sound Public Radio. We're a proud member of the NPR Network. Subscribe to KUOW Shorts feed for more short-run, locally produced audio series. This series was produced for KUOW Shorts by Brandy Fullwood and Jeannie Yandel. With help from Hans Twight, Amelia Peacock, and Michaela Giannotti-Boyle, Brendan Sweeney is our Director of New Content and Innovation. Listen to more Neighbor series by subscribing to KUOW Shorts wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noel Gaska. Thanks for listening.